Thank you very much. Well, the UCL Partners uh, is an academic health science partnership was launched in 2009, so I feel very young sitting next to Chris Ham from with the King's Fund history. I want to give a slightly different context, so I think we'll share many, many thoughts. So the purpose of an academic health science partnership is patient and population health gain. And you know, however complicated the wiring diagram is, it's going to have a quite a simple focus. How do you get patient and population health gain driven for us through research and innovation? And I think critically, it has to be research and innovation into practice. You know, it doesn't count if you publish it. It's what gets delivered into practice. So here's a, a slightly different context, too, that some of you may not be familiar with or, or might shock you, that it takes, on average, 17 years to get a proven medical intervention into practicing communities. So just forget service reconfiguration for a, for a moment. Once you've gone through the first trial of something showing it's effective, it's a 17-year delay on average before that gets into routine practice. So that's the sort of context that UCL Partners is working in, in the research sphere. And our function really is as a catalyst to work cross silos to help with what's the evidence base, how do we get patient pull, how do we develop the clinical leaders to be able to do delivery and how do we get alignment along the whole pathway, the sort of pathway that goes discovery, clinical trials, implementation, evaluation and so on. And it, of course if simple mandates worked it wouldn't take 17 years. It wouldn't take 17 years to get the best drug into practice and it wouldn't take 17 years to be able to do service change. So I agree with you about the twin pressures of the finance and the burden of disease as the contextual drivers. When we were launched, our stakeholders wanted us to focus on five particular areas. And they were pretty obvious ones, really. They were cancer and cardiac, because that was two-thirds of amenable mortality for our population. It was people with multiple long-term conditions, because that's where the health spend is. Mental health and child health. So those were the sort of five priorities that we were tasked to tackle. And just for today, I wanted to focus very briefly on cancer and cardiac. And our starting point isn't with service reconfiguration because it would start with, so what's the evidence to get the most uh, benefit? And it's not really complicated. You start with prevention and earlier diagnosis. So I just took two very quick examples of the work we're doing as the starting place because you need to get alignment. So with cancer, quarter of patients will present to an A&E department. Three quarters will come from their GP to an oncologist. If you fall in the quarter that goes to the A&E department, then 80% of you will be dead within a year. Uh, most, actually, will be dead within six months. If you go on the best pathway of care, then you could expect a 70% survival at five years. Those are, you know, they're quite shocking figures. They're very different figures. So our first focus was to say, as a whole system, which gets to your system point, Let's everyone come together and work together to audit and understand why this is really happening, why it's happening, what could we do better for communities, for in primary care, in primary care to secondary care, when the patient gets into secondary care, so that we could equalise out those outcomes because there's such a big gain to be got there. So that was trying to bring the whole system together for patient benefit. It gave a very clear context for me. We're trying to do the same in cardiovascular disease, where 9 out of 10 people who have a heart attack will have an unrecognised or untreated risk factor. So that's the sort of first context that 
gets the buy-in of the clinicians and the patients and the payers, I think. Then you move on to the specialist service end in cancer and cardiac. And obviously for the survivors, for the people who've been diagnosed, early diagnosis, there are many new treatments that are available. And just as with all the medical interventions in lots of other areas, there's a problem of getting them into practice so that we lag behind our weight or we punch below our weight or below other developed economies because of poor or patchy uptake of what would be best uh, for patients with very specialist requirements. And we sort of know what we need to do to get there. And we don't manage to do it. We know that in those areas we need higher volumes, we need a greater focus, we need dedicated teams, we need better access to the modern interventions, we need the clinical trials to be done in a setting where you then deliver the treatment. Because if you try and do the clinical trials in one place and get, get this delivered in another place, you're back to this 17 years' worth of delay. So you just try and create a context in which you could get things done. And I was sort of reflecting on what examples I would use about this. And last night I happened to be at a leaving event for someone at UCLH. And ten years ago she was the manager responsible for centralising gynaecological cancer in north central London. That's ten years ago. So I'm a great supporter of women first, but I was reflecting equally. We haven't yet started on prostate cancer ten years later. And we would know that if we had adopted the same principles, there's quite a good evidence base. You could halve the incontinence rates for, for men having prostate surgery. Well, that seems pretty shocking that we've waited 10 years before we even get around to focusing on this. So we know we can achieve these sorts of scales, scale of change improvements because we've achieved it in stroke. And... I wanted to reflect a bit on the, the clinical leadership and what we would need to get there, irrespective of the wiring diagram. Because when I just reflect back on stroke, there were lots of people who will claim credit for it. There's always lots of fathers for you know, ch successful children. I was very struck by one clinician who had a tremendous catalytic effect, didn't work in the organisation I worked for then, which was someone quite prepared to stand up working in a very good unit that he'd built up himself and say, so it will be better for patients if we stop doing it here and we do it somewhere else. And it's tremendously powerful leadership and actually it trumps all the rest. So once the clinicians are prepared to do that, it's very hard for lots of the wiring diagram to get in the way. And I'm very keen that we don't sort of fudge this because whatever the wiring diagram looks like it's the clinicians that are prepared to do that when it's their own unit that really need the support and the credit you see and they don't, they don't often get it they may be vilified by colleagues they may not have a support infrastructure it goes unrecognized compared to what did you publish or what sort of practice you've got so I think we want to be careful really about how much weight we have to put on some of the, the wiring diagrams because it could divert you from thinking this isn't really a complicated problem. We need better outcomes for patients. We've got restricted money. We've got a tremendous duty as clinicians to stand up and do the right thing. Almost inevitably when that happens, you will succeed. I, I don't really see a regulator saying 
you know, the clinicians are all agreed, and we know we would save this many lives, but I think we should just put it on hold and count the coffins for a few years more whilst we wait, wait to decide to do it. I don't think people operate like that. I think it's much better that clinicians put our own house in order, really, and that will allow us to move forward at pace. So I sort of agree with you, Chris, that we don't want to see regulators standing in the way of change at pace, but that change at pace won't happen unless the clinicians take a, a leadership role and we find better ways to support them. So that would be the sort of place that I'm at at the moment.